We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome in for another episode of Finding Freedom uh, right here on either the Lions of Liberty Network or on the Finding Freedom podcast. That's right. It's on one of two podcast feeds. Which one are you listening on? Doesn't matter to me. I'm just glad you're listening. You can subscribe to either wherever podcasts are found. Typically with the Finding Freedom podcast feed, which you can find by just searching Finding Freedom, John Odermatt, it'll pop up on any feed. Typically you get the Tuesday Rewind show. However, this past week there was no Rewind show because I was on vacation and uh, was in Disney World with the family and wasn't about to take the time to dig through the archives to give you a wonderful rewind show when I was trying to have fun and uh, and relax with the family. But uh, next week, surely, I will bring you that rewind show. In the meantime, if you missed it, the most popular exclusive Finding Freedom show that I've done on the Finding Freedom feed in that Tuesday time slot was the solo rant that I did about the LPPA convention, recapping it, talking about all the goings-on and what happened there and the craziness and the the fights and the all the different things. There weren't really fights. It wasn't – there weren't fights. It wasn't bad. Um, it was all – all's well that ends well. And I think, um, I think for the most part, things went pretty well at the LPPA. So – Turning the page to, to today's episode, today I have a great guest, and it's always good, it's always fun to be able to come back and bring a guest on again and add to the story, but you don't just add to the story, you add a, a winning element, you add a bit of, uh, a bit of justice, maybe, um, to the story. So I'm really excited for Lauren Reynolds to come back on the show and share really what happened with her story. The last time we talked to her, which was almost two years ago, I think um, she was just, this lawsuit was just gathering steam against the BOP down at the Coleman facility in Florida. And now, well, I'll let, uh, let the show tell you what happened, but she's getting paid and uh, that's always good. So without any more chit chat, let's get to the interview. All right, my guest today on Finding Freedom is Lauren Reynolds. Uh, this is actually Lauren's second time back on the show, and she is here to provide an update on a lawsuit that uh, Lauren and I believe 14 other women um, had filed against the Coleman Federal Correction Complex. And the good news is that the lawsuit was settled um, and, and they've received settlements. I'll let, I'll let Lauren go into detail if she wants to for how much they did. But there's also, you know, bad news as well. The The BOP officers were, were not prosecuted, and we can get into that. But I wanted to bring Lauren back on to really share the details of, of what happened and also go back. And uh, since I'm sure 
many listeners didn't hear the original interview to talk about um, actually the abuse that happened um, at Coleman and, and get into that. So Lauren, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. Well, good to have you here. And I think probably the, the best place to start, um, actually, you know what? I changed my mind. I was going to say we'll start and do a recap of, uh, of, of sort of that first episode and, and the story itself. But before we do that, I'm just curious, you know, you've been through this whole ordeal. Um, you know, I'm sure going through the, the legal process and the lawsuit and the settlement, you know, I'm sure that sort of, you know, brought back a, a lot of trauma, a lot of things that you, that you don't like to relive. But also, you know, this is sort of behind you now. Maybe there's a little bit of closure. So I'm just curious to know but how you feel right now. Do you feel like you've, you've gotten some, some closure from this? Um, I definitely feel like I've gotten closure. Um, do I feel like it's to the degree to move forward and forget about it? Definitely not. Um, I'll go more into it as I go through the legal process, but I was still going to um, intensive counseling while we were going through the mediation process because of course I was having to repeat myself over and over and over again. They would ask me the same question 30 different ways to try to mm -hmm. catch me in a lie, even though the officer admitted to abusing me, they were still trying to figure a way to get around it per se. So, um, Probably I would say about a month ago, I have stopped going to counseling. I've been able to cope with it and move forward with my life. Um, only time I really ever think about it, obviously, is when I do public speaking or um, I'm able to talk about it with people. So um, I don't get as emotional anymore. I feel like part of the therapy in it is talking about it. So coming on podcasts and things like that always help as well. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, we, we were just talking in, in the pre-show chat that I think the first time we, we talked originally was, I guess, almost two years ago. And I, I remember at, at that time, that was right, I think, right when the lawsuit was filed. And, uh, you know, to, for, for really all this time to pass. And now finally, after all this time to have some closure, um, that's, that's a lot to go through. So yeah. for the benefit of, of, of myself and my audience, um, if you could uh, take us through really what happened. So these yourself and 14 other women um, brought this lawsuit against Coleman uh, Federal Correction Complex in Florida. So, I mean, you don't have to go into every single detail and every single instance, but um, what, what, what happened at, the, uh, at Coleman? Well, me personally, I had gotten to Coleman in the beginning of 2019 to finish out 10 months of my sentence. Um, and three weeks after I got to Coleman, the officer that I was working for started um, making sexual passes at me, making comments about my body, my looks. And it escalated from there where he could get me into areas where nobody was around and there were no cameras. And he started touching me. And he would um, make me perform oral sex on him. And this went on for about five months. Um, and at Coleman, it's a everybody does it, but nobody tells um, type of thing. And so this was happening to a lot of different women by a lot of different officers. Um, some officers were abusing multiple women. And so 
I would say September of 2019, um, we came together, we got an attorney and we went and reported to the um, investigator for the compound um, that we were being sexually abused. And we filed a notice to sue to the BOP in November of 2019. Can I jump jump in real quick? Uh-huh. I think yeah, I, yeah. if I remember correctly, so you were you were out at that time, but there were some of the women were still at Coleman when when this lawsuit was being filed, right? Yes, um, the majority of us were currently at Coleman when we filed the notice to sue. Um, okay. A couple of the girls got out right after that, and the first time I spoke to you, I was actually on an ankle monitor at the halfway house. Okay. And so I remember we talked that I was a little nervous that they would send me back if they knew I was mm-hmm. talking to you, but yeah. um, obviously they didn't. But um, once we filed the notice to sue, a lot of the girls started getting out. There are a few um, that had longer sentences, but with COVID, they actually got released under Trump's plan where um, you finish your sentence at home. So there's a few of the girls that are technically still incarcerated Um, but they are doing their time at their house. So um, nobody is physically in Coleman as of now. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I I got you. I got you off off, off track there. But yeah, yeah, so you you were talking about, you know, that time in in September 2019, late 2019, when this was all all starting. Um, So how, I'm curious, when, uh, you know, these 15 women came together. How, how did that, how did that come about? Was it, I mean, was it kind of hard to, I mean, to, to get to, to, you know, find people that were willing to come forward with you or, or was it just sort of something where like it, it just bubbled up and it's like enough is enough. We've got to do something. Um, I believe it was more of a bubbling up at first. There was a core of like two or three of us. And then um, I wouldn't say it was, campaigning but it was just like look i know this is happening to you we're gonna do this you know are you going you know do you want to do you want to join as well and then you know of course everybody was scared of what was going to happen to us anything you say against our officer they take you to the county jail um but obviously the more of us they can't send everybody to the county jail Mm -hmm. so um once we started talking to the investigator, officers were getting walked off the property one by one. And so then it became more of a scarlet letter that we had. Um, a lot of the officers and inmates were happy that we did it because it had been going on for so long. And of course, others were pissed off about it because they weren't getting whatever contraband or things like that they were getting from those specific officers. So they were being preyed on. They just did not realize the manipulation that they were under. That's yeah, that's a crazy thing. Um, I I, I want to read you a the article you sent me. There was mm-hmm. a uh, there's a quote um, from Joe Joe Roas, the Southeast Regional Vice President for the Workers Union. Um, yeah, Council he's a of joke. Prisons. He said, so yeah, he said it's a sediment of other correctional officers' shit. What did he say? Oh, he said it's a, it was a black eye on an otherwise hardworking and upright staff. 
And uh, it's a sentiment that other correctional officers share. He said, I'm just sad because honestly, those officers got away with a crime, which maybe he's being honest there. But basically he's saying, you know, as they say a lot of times in circumstances like this, just a few bad apples. What's your response to that? He's a creep. Um, He was head of the union during the time this was going on. So he had a personal interest in it. Um, He is one of the officials that did get a promotion after all of this. Um, Also in USA Today, the outgoing warden got a like $30,000 bonus, um, as well as the complex manager got a bonus out the door as well. So um, all of them had a hand in it because they didn't do anything about it, yet they retired with bonuses and in Mr. Rojas's case, got a promotion. And the, uh, the thought there is that they were essentially having, they were bought off to not say anything. Yeah. Which that's, I mean, that's it's not surprising. Not at all. It's the government. So you, you talked about, um, trying to find, find your quote here, that you said it wasn't about the money that, that you received um, but but you had hoped that the trial would help spark prison reform, um, you know, reform so this wouldn't happen again. Uh, do, do you feel like that part of it really didn't, you know, come to fruition in, in the way that you hoped? Um, no, it definitely has not. I've been in touch with um, Fiam again, like we spoke before. I was supposed to go to um, the White House and speak in front of committees. I know that there's a few things in the works now that COVID has settled down. Um, So I expect to be going back to the White House and speak in in front of committees again and share my story. Um, During mediation, the biggest thing that hit me was it wasn't the trial judge that did mediation. It was one of his coworkers. And when I was speaking to the judge about, you know, what I wanted to come out of this, and when we were in mediation, it was the first time that I'd ever seen in black and white that he admitted to abusing me. Hmm. And so when we were going through mediation, um, you know, that was validating, even though I know what he did was wrong and he knew it, for him to actually admit it was probably the most validating thing out of the whole situation. Because mentally I knew it was wrong and everybody else around me was saying, you know, oh, well, she's, you know, of age to consent. And they were trying to pull all these different things to try and get around it. Um, But as far as going to trial and things like that, the main reason that we did not go to trial is because the original attorney in the case, Brian Bush, um, I think he saw us as a get rich quick scheme and didn't do his homework and he was way above his head. So he actually blew a deadline to where we could not sue the officers individually. So it would turn into a civil case for them to be prosecuted because Bill Barr declined to file federal or criminal charges against them. When you were on the show the first time, was was your attorney on with you? I'm trying to remember. That was my um, attorney that I took to mediation with me. That was my second attorney, oh, okay. uh, James. Okay. Yeah, James was yeah. with us. Okay, that's right. So just just to get into 
the prison reform aspect of it. I'm sure you have mm-hmm. some ideas on this. Mm-hmm. What, what steps do you think could be taken? What sort of protocols put in place in order to protect women so this doesn't continue to happen? Um, my main thing is would be a body camera, um, just like regular police officers, how they have been adding body cameras because officers are never accountable to have more than one inmate. BOP policy states that there can't be one inmate to one officer, um, but obviously that rule is not followed or we wouldn't be in this situation. So I believe body cams are a big thing. Um, actually punishing them as far as suspending without pay. They get suspended with pay when they're under investigation or they just get moved to a different department um, as well as putting cameras everywhere. Coleman is the biggest complex and seems to have the least amount of cameras. There is PREA training yearly for the BOP. Obviously that Mm -hmm. doesn't work either. So my main thing would be body cameras because they wouldn't be able to slide into all these nooks and crannies. And then basically someone just sitting there watching those cameras. And if you lose somebody, then you radio them. Hey, let's take a quick break in the show. I want to tell you all about an awesome company uh, run by like-minded people, people who love liberty and care about these ideas. It's called Paloma Verde CBD. Um, It is run by a couple out of San Antonio, Texas. If you're someone who uses CBD to relax, to sleep, for joint pain, muscle pain, all those different things, they have what you need. Um, You can find your your full spectrum tinctures. You can find flavored, unflavored, massage oil, bath bombs, gummies, uh, CBD solve to help to fight inflammation and joint pain and stuff like that. A, A menthol sports cream and even dog chews for your uh, four-legged friends. So please, if you haven't already, check out Paloma Verde CBD. All you have to do, go to their website, palomaverdecbd.com, and put in Roar at checkout for 20% off your order, guys. Uh, You can't beat this deal. Head over to Paloma Verde CBD and get some good products, feel better, be healthier, and enjoy life. That makes sense. My main thing with with cameras, you know, be, be it cameras in this situation or, or cam- cameras with uh, police officers, though, is who owns the footage and where does all the footage go? And I mean, you're, I think you want to put it in some sort of um, protection where the footage is destroyed, so it's not, you know, somebody can hack in and, and steal this footage or. Right. who knows what kind of controls that they they would have have around that so i think it, mm-hmm. it, it it's a good thing i understand where you're coming from and i mostly agree with it i think but it's yeah cuz it, it opens up another another liability of what is right. on those cameras then um so but no that's that's good so another thing though is when they are investigated who is investigating them isn't aren't they basically investigating themselves Yes, um, where the Coleman officers went wrong is the investigator was actually ready to prosecute. Um, D. Camilla was the officer for the investigative services. And when all of this blew up and he fought for us tooth and nail, we never went to the county jail. Um, he protected us to the best of his ability. Once this was settled, he was demoted 
to a regular officer again. And so he actually retired because of the demotion. Who, who is this? The, the one who did the investigating? Yes, the one who did the investigating before it was actually turned over um, to the OIA, to Internal and, Affairs, and to those people. So the, obviously, and he, the higher he had people. tried to cover it up, or no, he was trying to get everybody prosecuted. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they was, demoted him. Atten- they demoted him because of that. Yes. Wow. Unbelievable. Yes. So I'm curious, um, you know, what sort of response you're getting from, I I don't know, what what sort of media attention this has gotten or people reaching out for articles, things of that nature? Um, When I was still actually incarcerated, I reached out to um, the Miami Herald. I I have a friend that knows a few media people. And, um, so Romy has done a couple stories. Um, I've spoke directly to her and then she went to the Tampa Bay times. So, um, that ending story was in the Tampa Bay times, but, um, when this was going on and I was still incarcerated, my family actually reached out to Marco Rubio's office and, um, never got a response. So when I got out, I personally called Marco Rubio's office because in one of the first stories, Um, he wanted to throw his hat in the ring and say, you know, there needed to be change and he was going to investigate it. And so I tried to kick dust up with his office and um, I spoke to Taylor, one of his reps, and they were basically saying, you know, when did your parents call? When did they leave a message? And so, you know, I gave him dates and all that. And he basically put his tail between his legs and couldn't give me any straight answer. And so um, I've said on every podcast and media thing that I want to talk to him. I told Taylor, mm-hmm. I want to personally speak to him because if you're you know, going to go on a public platform and say you're going to do something, you know, I'm the one to talk to. I'm your reference. Let's yeah. do it something. Doesn't, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't surprise me. Rubio's a weasel. No. Yeah, <laughs> he is. And so, you know, I also told Taylor that every podcast, everything I go on, I'm going to drag him and say that he has still failed to call me back two years later. And I actually um, put another request in on his website a week ago and have not heard anything back. So. That's a shame. That's our elected officials. All they care about is padding their own pockets with money. Right. Um, So we talked about before the show that you didn't have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Was that something that they tried to force upon you and and you really had to resist? Um, They didn't force it when we were going back and forth in mediation. Of course, you know, the first offer they offered me was like $50,000. And um, basically, you know, they, they like to play the game. And so I told them, okay, well I'll sign a non-disclosure for 2 million. And they were like, no. <laughs> so it, it came, it kind of came up that way. Um, obviously in our agreement, we can't sue any other government entity and things like that. But um, they, they danced with the non-disclosure, but they, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't yeah. forced. 
So how contentious were the negotiations? Did, I mean, what, did you come to a resolution pretty, pretty quickly in that? Or? Um, she actually, the mediator actually tried to schedule us as much as possible. So the first one was at the end of October and she was trying to get us, you know, obviously to settle before the holidays and um, all of that. So we met twice in the end of October and then twice in the middle of November. And I actually settled a couple days before Thanksgiving of 2020. Um, during the mediations, you know, the judge, when we were going back and forth on numbers, and um, I believe at that point, the number was 1.2 million. And the judge looked right at me because we were on Zoom. She looked right at me and she said, you're never going to get that for something like this. And what really struck me about that is oh there's a going rate for this like it's it's so common there's a price point and there's a bracket on somebody's worth <laughs> and, that, and that was a female judge saying that it, it was it was a female judge that said that to me and I just looked at her and I just I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it mm. and I was like some something like this like so it's socially accepted, you know, things like this. Yeah, that's that's messed up. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so, so that's, it, that's one thing that's stuck with me two years later. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that'll probably always stick with you. Have, have, I mean, that's. I mean, that's really just not acceptable behavior from a from a judge to say something like that. That's that's craziness. Right. So at this point, um, you know, you kind of have that chapter of your life, I guess, as, as much behind you as, as you can. What, what are your plans going forward? What, what would you like to see yourself accomplish in the next five years or so? Um, in the next five years, I hopefully will be going to the White House regularly, being a part of um, criminal justice reform and prison oversight. Um, I think oversight period is non-existent. Um, there is an actual position for a PREA compliance officer. I am available and ready to travel if they need somebody. And what, also, what would that position entail? <laughs> they actually go prison to prison and um, do oversight on PREA complaints, basically what we did, and make sure that every everything is in compliance and they're actually following investigations because like we talked before, once a inmate files an investigation, they send them to the County jail, then they ship them across the country. So no investigation can be done because mm -hmm. the inmates not there to testify. So I think that's the biggest part to keep the prisons in compliance is having an eye on them and making sure that they don't ship the inmate Therefore, there can be an investigation. Um, yeah, I guess I guess it would be key to, in that position that that person would have to have the power to, if they do ship one out, say, "Oh no, no, you're not doing that," and and ship them back because otherwise right. you're kind of in the same position, right? Right, and I feel like also they need to bring in like a third party because when you know all these people work together, it's like you know the boys' club. You don't tell on each other. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely think it needs to be an outsider or a third party. Um, I'm also finishing up my book on my story. 
and then also there is a few um, mini series and things like that that um, I'm talking to a few people about. But of course, when COVID happened, that's kind of shook everything up and pushed everything back. So like a, like a Netflix type miniseries or what? Yes, it's going to be um, more like a docu-series. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's being shopped right now with a few different platforms. Oh, wow. Well, that's a lot going on. So, do you have a uh, do you have a target for for when you want to have your book out? Um, I am with a publisher right now. I would probably say within the next six months. Of course, I will let you read it first <laughs> before awesome. we talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what else? What else from this case? I mean, because you obviously know know this much better than I do. What haven't I asked you about that is a very important component that that people need to know about? Um, I feel like if you're a friend or a family member of an inmate that this is happening to, um, it takes a lot of outside help and outside work to actually get the lawsuit part of it rolling. Um, Like we spoke about before, they listen to everything as far as phone calls, letters, um, things like that. Like I mentioned about Brian Bush, the first attorney, it was a, a get rich quick scheme. Um, I believe from our podcast, a couple of people actually reached out to Jimmy after um, the stories were published and you talked to him to hmm. actually hire him for similar instances. I should get a commission from Jimmy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you need to talk to him about that. I don't even get a commission from him. But um, no, there has been a few people um, as well as our on our case um, that just wanted to give supporting information and evidence to try and get them prosecuted as well. But um, the biggest thing is, you know, you have to do your research and find an attorney that can actually handle this type of case. Um, obviously, there's not. BOP rape attorneys, but um, you definitely have to find somebody that's going to fight for you and go to bat for you against the government because a lot of people don't want to go against the government. Yeah, and there's not a lot of attorneys who have had success doing it in right. a case like this. I, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, no. there's not like yeah, there's not a lot with the track record who they can come to you and say, oh yes, we've done this and this. But now, now Jimmy can to a, to a certain extent, I guess. <laughs> but oh yeah. <laughs> Um, so anything else, is there any, any, uh, any other message, um, that you want to get out there? Any, anything, um, that you want to plug or, uh, or talk about? Um, just my main thing is, like I said, if you know somebody going through this or somebody that's being physically, mentally, sexually abused, um, behind bars, you need to speak up. It's going to be grueling. Um, you're going to go through a lot of pain and heartache, but in the end, we, you know, you have to stand up and stick together because it's going to keep happening to the next person. And the next person might be your mom, your sister, your brother, your dad, um, because we're all one step away from being put in prison. One bad decision. So that kind of made me think of something. So you talked about yeah, family, the importance of family um, supporting and, mm-hmm. you know, if they're able to financially, you know, in order to, uh, to back their loved one who is in prison. But I mean, 
I, I can see why the BOP moves people around because they move them out of that situation. They're isolated. Maybe they were close to family before where they could visit. Now they're mm-hmm. on the other side of the country. They can't even see them. And it's probably very easy just to, you know, once you are out of that situation, you start talking to yourself like, what, what happened? I mean, not, not convincing yourself it didn't happen, but, but you probably start to convince yourself that, oh, it's probably just easier if I just make myself forget about this than, you know, push back and try to get, you know, try to get justice. I, I do agree with that, but that's when, you know, the anger has to override the fear. Um, I told my parents about it when they came to visit me. We were literally sitting in the BOP visiting room and I had to tell them what happened so they could call the lawyers so they could do stuff for me. Um, I know everybody does not have that, but um, Amanda, one of the girls on the case, the people that didn't have that, you know, her mom kind of turned into the group mom. Mm-hmm. and would make sure everybody's stuff was done. But no, I definitely see where the fear can set in. Um, and you know, the BOP gets away with it because there's a statue of limitations. And we didn't, we didn't talk about it at the top of the show, but it's probably important just to note for context. What, what, what were you in prison for? What was your conviction? A felon in possession of a firearm, aiding in abetting and a probation violation. So, all nonviolent crimes, right? Correct. I mean, Correct. Yeah. So, so you're in in prison in the first place. Shouldn't be in prison. And uh, how many years did you end up serving? I got. Um, they gave me twelve years. I served ten and a half years on a five year mandatory minimum. How does that work? Ten, ten and a half on a five year mandatory minimum. Yeah, they sentenced me twelve years. Okay. Ridiculous. Um, yeah. So, and I mean, I talk about this all the time, but this, the, I mean, the prison system, of course, itself is, is a huge problem. I mean, the way it's structured, it's, it's a broken system. But a component of that problem is the public who looks at the prison system and says, oh, you screwed up, you made a mistake, you broke this law, you deserve to be in prison in this horrible environment because that horrible environment, yeah, maybe well, you, you know, you'll be assaulted and, and you know, violent things will happen. Um, because you made that mistake, you deserve that. That is it's despicable for people to, to think that in some way there's anything good going to come from that. And, and that's sort of like, I, I don't know what percentage of, of society, but there's a lot of people who think about prison that way. Like, well, you're in prison. What do you expect? What would you say to someone like that? Um, I, it's a terrible comparison, but I, I compare the prison system to, you know, nobody cares about school shootings until their kid is the one that gets shot. Same thing with the prison system. Nobody cares about reform. Nobody cares about people in prison until their family member or their friend is the one in prison. That's, that's the truth. I mean, that's, that's what pulled me into, into caring about this, having a family member going mm-hmm. to prison. So that's, I mean, I, I think there's more, I mean, with shows like this and I mean, there, there's, 
lots of great content out there. People who have who have been to prison, making content, writing books. Like you're, you're writing a book, and mm-hmm. and this this docu series also that that I'm sure will come out. Um, I think it's a lot better today with people being educated and understanding, you know, how bad the issue is. It needs to be uh, corrected, but it's yeah, it's not not anywhere close to where it where it needs to be to actually, I think, get to the point that we can totally transform uh, the prison system. No, I completely agree. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, you were gone for so long; it was all of your twenties, you know. How long do you really think it took you to realize, you know, the gravity of the situation and, oh, I need to change and, you know, all of those thoughts of um, the gravity of it. And Mm -hmm. I say it to truly have the clarity, it took about two and a half years. And that was totally maturing, bettering myself um, mentally, physically, emotionally, so it's like lost time for everybody, you know, two yes. and a half years and actually being there 10 and a half years. It's a big difference. Yeah. So two and a half years, you feel personally that you were at a point where you could have left, gone back into society and added value to society, um, been with your family, um, which would have helped them and there would have been less suffering all around um, from from your family and friends as well. People always forget about that. That you know th- th- they go through a lot of this as well. But instead, you have to sit in there for eight more years, and everybody suffers. Um, and it, I mean, I'm sure it's different. And it, of course, I mean, depending on the crime, you're talking about violent crimes and things like that. That's that's sort of its own category. But nonviolent crimes. I mean, many nonviolent crimes. There should not be any prison sentence in a, in, in my opinion. Um, but I think that's a great, a great way to illustrate really the lost time. And it's not just lost time for, for the prisoner. It's lost time for everybody involved Mm -hmm. in it. Right. And just to, just on the back half of it, um, they gave me three years probation. I've been on probation for a little over a year and a half, um, federal probation, you only have to do 50% of your time. My halfway mark was December 2nd. I had spoke to the probation officer about terminating my probation early and they refused to, um, file for me to get off of probation early because they said the nature of my charges but the current probation officer that I have had for almost a year, I've never met her in person. I've never had a drug test. I um, fill out a paper once a month on the internet, you know, to report per se. Mm-hmm. It's basically like a questionnaire. And she pretty much told me, you know, look, you're a waste of my time. I'm a waste of your time. Just call me if you need anything. And so that's literally how I do my probation and they get about $45,000 a year for me. That is so ridiculous. People would respond to that and say, well, I mean, that's, that's good in your probation officer. You know, they're, you know, they're, they understand that, you know, they're not giving you a hard time for no reason. And yes, that's, I, I would agree that that's a good thing. But at the same time, you don't need to be on probation 
and this probation officer is being paid for something that doesn't need to be done. So how's that? Right. Right. It's, it's not benefiting either one of us. And Mm. I feel like, you know, get rid of me, give somebody else a chance that's been in prison 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Let them come out on supervised release, let them get acclimated because it does take a few months to get completely comfortable. You know, when I went in, iPhone just came out, just the simple things. Going to a hotel and the new keyless entry where you hold it up in front of the, you know, when you haven't seen that. Right. In fairness, I'm, I'm still figuring that keyless entry. I'm, I'm still <laughs> figuring that out. So don't feel bad. Though. But yeah, there's just little things where I'm just like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. You know, getting in an elevator at a hotel. I didn't know you had to hold your key up to the thing to make the elevator go. You know, mm-hmm. and you stand there like a dummy. <laughs> Everyone's looking at you like you're crazy. <laughs> you just you should look back at them and just say, "I just got out of prison. Back off." <laughs> no, I just laugh look on and their go, face. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good way to scare them, John. That's a good way. Yeah. To scare them. <laughs> All right, Lauren. Well, uh, thank you uh, for coming on the show. You know, I, when we talked last time, there's a lot of uncertainty and. You know, a lot, a lot of stress around this. I'm sure there's probably still, still a good amount of that. But at least the chapter of the lawsuit is behind you. You've got your settlement. Hopefully, you can relax a little bit, enjoy it, and uh, like you talked about, you know, start working towards um, doing what you can to to change the system um, from uh, from your perspective. So I wish you luck with that. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me back on again. All right. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Another great conversation. Another individual who is taking the actions in life uh, to find personal freedom in their own life and helping to achieve the same and helping others really to achieve uh, that same goal. So thank you for listening. And if you want to take it one step further, please consider joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash lions of liberty or on locals if you prefer that you can go to lionsofliberty.locals.com and you can join the lions of liberty pride what do you get with the lions of liberty pride well number one uh, you get access to our bonus content Uh, brian mcwilliams does a monday through friday like a little quick five minute episode every day called good morning Bleephead. I'm not going to swear because this this episode there were no swears on it. So so why uh, market explicit? And uh, also we have Conspiracy Corner, which is about once a month show, and Degenerate Gamblers, which we call it DG. And there is there is a DG community people who participate, um, especially during football season, um, where we have some fun with some uh, some fake betting and things like that. We just wrapped up the season with the Super Bowl. Had a uh, you know all that good stuff. Did a big Super Bowl squares thing. And that'll be kicking off again. We'll do some stuff in the spring when baseball gets up. But then once again in the fall with college football and pro football. So if you're a sports ball fan and you like that stuff like we do, then you can uh, you can join in on that. And also you get, you get a discount on merchandise. You get access to our Lions of Liberty Pride Facebook group. And there's a bunch of other stuff at a bunch of the higher levels where you can influence the show and uh, all that good stuff. So check it out. We would love um, if you took a more active role in supporting the Lions of Liberty. 
like I've talked about on previous episodes, um, we are looking to be you know out there this year, going to events, do, doing uh, you know fun stuff, meeting people. So all of that money that comes in and uh, supports us here, we're going to turn that around and uh, do the best we can to get out and meet you and uh, and spend some time with you, drink a beer, have some fun. So that's all I got for today, guys. Hope you all have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week. Always remember to keep your head up. And the fire's liberty burning.